Well, praise the Lord, everybody. God for another opportunity to teach. Thank uh, Pastor for giving me an opportunity this morning. I tell you all the truth, I didn't have nothing to kind of late last night. I prayed. Pastor gave me a two week notice, and I prayed every day and asked God for a thought. You know, he he'll get to preaching and he'll talk about the the musicians need to pray for a song and tell it, he'll also mention you preachers need to be praying for a word. And I've honestly, I think every day it's been on my mind, and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. But I come down here last night, and God gave me this thought. Um, I've got a title for it, and y'all don't get scared when I start talking about what I'm talking about this today. But my title this morning is going to be Holiness in the Law. We're going to be reading from the law a little bit. But um, before I get into this, I do want to praise God. Um, Wednesday night, Brother Nick was preaching, and he called out some things that he felt like God wanted to heal. And one, he, he mentioned it three or four times when he was preaching with somebody's foot. I, I changed work boots here about, I don't know, a month ago, and they have healed my right foot to the point where, like, above my knee, I could push on a spot in my knee, and my whole foot would just tense up, and um, I've loosened them up and worked on them, and it just, it ain't helped much, and it's been r really discomfort, really uncomfortable, but um, supposed to be really good boots. I don't want to change my boots. I spent a lot of money on them, so. I've been praying God to fix it, and God, God's worked in it since Wednesday night. It's nowhere near as bad as it was, and I thank God for that. I thank God, too, um, last week. I think I testified Sunday or Sunday night about work, you know, that God had moved at work. And um, this whole week was probably the best week I've had in months, and I praise God for that because I know it was God. I come home last week crying, not the last week, week before last, sorry, crying one day at work, and I, I was talking to Kayla on the way home, and she said, you know, the thing about it is we just need to pray. Don't worry about going and talking to your boss. Don't worry about, you know, you know, telling them how you feel about it. Just pray about it. We'll give God an opportunity because he can do a lot more than any man can. So me and my wife started praying, and, and God's really moved and, and worked things out. And my boss complimented us the other day in a way that he ain't ever complimented us. So I praise God for that. But this morning, I'm going to talk about holiness a little bit. Um, it's just something that God laid on my heart last night as I was reading. Um, in a, in a world so full of sin and corruption, people's kind of lost touch with God. And in that, sin just isn't talked about like it used to be. Um, I thank God that we've got a man of God here and other ministers that preach about sin, that still preach about hell, that still talk about being perfect even as our Father in heaven. And I thank God for those things, but I, I want to go a little deeper this morning, and hopefully I can bless you all with this. Um, I'm going to go to Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to read two scriptures to start with. Romans chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Most everything I read probably very familiar today. I'll try and take it slow and not go too fast. I know I start rambling and talking quick. Romans 6, 14 and 15 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace, God forbid. The Apostle Paul is writing here to the, the Hebrews in Rome, and he's telling them that, you know, the law has been fulfilled by the death of Jesus Christ. The law isn't exactly the same as it was once taught to you Hebrews. 
And we're no longer under the law, but under the grace by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But does that mean we get a free, we can do whatever we want and go sin because the law, we're not under the law anymore? He said, God forbid. God forbid that we think that we can just do whatever we want because Jesus has died for our sins. That doesn't give us the free card to just, you know, go out and sin and, and live a worldly and carnal life. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was not the end of the law, but it was the fulfillment thereof. We are no longer bound by the deeds of law, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, but the law still has a place in our lives. The law established what is sin. The Bible says in one place that we're all dead by the law because of the sin that's in our lives. What the law did was it established what was right and what was wrong, and then how to cleanse yourself when you have committed wrong. But the thing that the law could not do was make us perfect and perfectly clean from all that. And that was the point of Jesus having to die for us. Again, I'm just laying a foundation this morning. Y'all bear with me. There's some that say, hey, preacher, don't tell me about that. That's under the law. I'm under the grace. I don't need to hear anything out of the law. But those same Christian people will get fighting mad because they took the Ten Commandments out of the, the courtrooms and took the Ten Commandments out of the, the school. Well, I'm sorry to break it to you, but the Ten Commandments is the foundation of the law. If we get mad because they took the Ten Commandments out of judge, uh, courtrooms and out of schools, why do we get mad when we start talking about the law? Why do we get mad and start talking about the commandments for God? Why do we get upset when somebody says, hey, you know, in the Old Testament, this was a sin, and God's not changed. I believe God still believes it's a sin. We shouldn't get mad when, when a preacher gets up and tells us that. I'm not saying anyone here does. I'm saying that in my living for God, there's people that I've come, or come across and encountered that, that ask me what I believe and ask me about sin and ask me if they th that I think this or that is a sin. And when I tell them, yes, it's a sin, they get mad. They don't want to hear about sin any longer. If we value those Ten Commandments, we should value all the things that God does not want us to do. Now, I'm not going to be teaching about living under the law and not under the law. Again, I'm just wanting to lay a foundation about where I'm going to be teaching from this morning. But I do want to go back into the law and talk about some things, and hopefully we can draw closer to God through these things. Mainly, I'm going to be in Leviticus chapter 19. So if you want to turn with me there, I'm going to be reading quite a bit of this chapter. Um, there's a lot of other scriptures I'll be reading. If you don't want to turn to them, you don't have to. I'm going to tell you where they are if you want to write them in your notes. Because most of the time I'll just be flipping to the New Testament for one, maybe two scriptures. Again, we're going to be starting out or going to Leviticus chapter 19. And that's where I wanted to lay the foundation. Today in, in modern church, if you start talking about Leviticus, people want to hide under a rock. No one wants to hear anything out of Leviticus anymore. Most Christians don't even want to read the book of Leviticus because it's so, I don't know, it's just kind of, it's just a hard place to go. Starting in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Starting out here, God spake to Moses, told him, Tell the children of Israel, You will be holy, because I am holy. 1 Peter 1 and 16 is where we talk about, when we talk about holiness a lot of times. Peter wrote, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. 
this scripture that we quote all the time, be holy for I am holy, is a reference to the Levitical law in chapter 19. It is a reference to chapter 19, verse 2, when God spoke through Moses to the children of Israel, saying, be ye holy for I am holy. Continue on in verse 3. Ye shall fear every man his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. We know in the Ten Commandments it says to honor thy mother and thy father. So that's pretty straightforward. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. Again we have the Apostle Paul writing and he says, Children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. You know I was hoping there would be some people here, um, a young person that's kind of going through this situation. You know, growing up, I, I had a pretty strict parents. My mom was a good mom. She really was, but she was really strict. And when I come to church, sometimes she didn't always agree with me because she grew up in this church and she was backslid. And, you know, we, we didn't always see eye to eye, but God made me realize at one point that I still had to honor her. You know, and, and even in, in, the, in my adult years, if my mom was still around, it still would be profitable for me and for my soul's sake to honor my mother and father. You know, and, and there comes a point in every person's life as they, they re reach adulthood, especially as you get married. The Bible says that we ought to leave our mother and father or forsake our mother and father and, and you know, be, have our wife and be one. But honoring your mother and father, that is the first commandment with promise, the Bible says. That is the first thing we can do to please God that will lengthen our years. That's the first thing that, that a lot of times that, that, that there's a promise with it if you do it that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on earth. The Bible says that if we honor our parents, it's right, and everything will be well with us. Continuing on in verse 4. Turn ye not unto idols, nor make yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. You know, I didn't have very many other scriptures I wanted to go to with this one, but I see it in, in modern church and modern Christianity so many times we see idols popping up, and we don't even realize it. We have things that we set before God, and though anything we set before God is an idol. We may not bow down and worship it. We may not set that thing up and build an altar and put sacrifice on it like the Buddhists do with the oranges and stuff and you see in Chinese restaurants. may not be like that extent of an idol. But anything you spend more time with, anything that you put before God, that becomes an idol. And we see it so much in modern church, and it's never even talked about. It's not even called out. And I'm not saying our pastors don't do it. I'm just saying in modern church, not just specifically here. But people, people put so many things before God. And in our lives, if we want to be pleasing to God, if, if, if we want to, to live this holiness standard that will please God, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but, but we've got to not put things before God. We've got to make sure that there's no idolatry in our lives. I tell you, I, have, I, I struggle with my phone. I like to just sit down at the end of the day and just flip through my phone. You know, it, it's very, very, it just went out. <laughs> it's very easy to do. It's very easy to get lost and lose track of time just by sitting there. And I'm sure we all who have phones have, have struggled with that. And, and there's, there comes a time when we have to set that aside, and that's something I have to work on. But we've we got to make sure we're not turning to idols. And making ourselves a molten God. You know, a molten God, the first thing that comes to mind is when the children of Israel come out of Egypt, the first thing they did while Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the commandments was they made him a molten calf and bowed down and worshiped it. That's the first thing they did. 
in a time of silence while they were waiting on an answer for God, they just set themselves up another God. Well, maybe that one's not going to answer us. Maybe this one will. You know, there comes times when we got to just, we just got to be patient with God. Moving on, verse 5. And if you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord, you shall offer it at your own will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, and on the morrow, if aught remain unto the third day, it shall be burnt in the fire. And if it be eaten at all on the third day, it is abominable, and it shall not be acceptable. So I didn't want really to get into offerings of the Lord because that's where I believe things have changed. You know, Jesus Christ was, was the ultimate sacrifice and offering for our sin, and we don't have to sacrifice goats, lambs, or doves any longer. But we still bring a sacrifice before God. And the one thing this was saying here in verse 5, if you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord, you shall offer it at your own will. At your own will. If we bring things to God just because we have to, I don't believe God really accepts it. When we come into church and we, we force a worship and we force something, I don't think that's quite so acceptable to God. It should be a willing and, and a want to praise when we come into church. We, we have so much in our lives that God has done for us that, that we should want to come into church and praise him for it without being forced to. I don't believe the minister should have to get up here during preliminaries and pump the church up. I don't believe we should have to because the church should know that God has done so much for them they come in with a praise. They should walk through the doors with a praise on their lips. I'm not saying you got to come in and shout because I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you I don't believe that it, that everything has to be a shout. It don't. There's some of the best services I've ever been in. It wasn't a shout. It was just the sweet spirit where God moved and healed and touched and reached out and drawed people in. Those services ain't all about the shout. That's not what I'm saying. But, but creating an atmosphere like that still requires a, a sacrifice of praise. And it's by a willing heart that God's willing to move in. It's by bringing that willingly. And there's other sacrifices we make. Romans 12 and 1, very familiar scripture. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, Paul was writing here, and he said, it's your reasonable service. You know, in a sense, he's saying it's your duty to do so. But we shouldn't be doing it out of a duty. We should be doing it out of a want to, out of a realization that God died on a cross for me, and God prepared a way that I could be saved I want to do this. You know, I didn't come to church because I, 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 I had to. I come to church because I want to. I come to church because I realize God did so much for me. I've told y'all a lot of a lot of y'all my, my testimony. I was a straight B student, straight C's and B's, average, not very smart. And as soon as, like, I went from eighth grade and ninth grade school year, my ninth grade school year, so I went to a straight A student. That wasn't me. That was God. That was a blessing God gave me and an ability to, to, to learn and, a, and a, a gift of knowledge, if you will. And, and I realized that was God that brought me to that place. It, I went from not having any, any friends to being you know, somebody that, that had a lot of friends throughout all the school. God changed me. God gave me a little bit of influence to use me. And, and all these things that God done for me, I realized it was him that done it. And, and I have seen that and because of that change in my life where I went from a place where I had nobody to having people around me that care for me and having a God that I can turn to that's, that's closer than a brother, that's a friend in a time of need, that died for me on a cross. When I see what God has done for me, I want to come to church and worship. It's a willingness in my heart. 
And I'm not saying I'm perfect in that sense because there's times I'm tired from work and I come in here and I'm dragging the floor. But it's still a willingness in my heart that I want to come. And that, that's the way it should be. And that's what God was saying here. Don't, don't, it shouldn't be a force to come live for me. You should want to live for me. There's other things. I was talking about Romans 12 and 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Here, I'll talk about me some more. I know y'all probably get tired of hearing about Brother DJ, but I'll talk about me. In high school, I wanted to go in the military. I was in ROTC. I was a top cadet because God blessed me and, and allowed me to be that way. But my goal was to go in the military. I had three military um, branches that was trying to recruit me, giving me all these promises, talking about $5,000 sign-on bonus at 19 years old, all this stuff. But I prayed, and Pastor prayed. Me and him prayed a lot about the military. And I fasted. He fasted to help me. And I remember standing right here at this little sidewall petition praying in a church service. And I think there were some people at the altar praying. And I stood here and I was praying. And I said, God, I want to know your will. And God spoke to me and said, I will bless you if you join the military, but I'll bless you more if you don't. See, God had a plan for me. God had a life for me. But I laid down my desire to meet God's. I wanted to go to college. God didn't see fit for me to go to college. Yes, I was a straight-A student. I should have had scholarships. I didn't. I had one, and it didn't pay for very much. And what I wanted to go do, I knew I couldn't work and study because it was a very difficult thing to go, to go to college for. So that was my dreams. That was my aspirations, my desires. But I laid that down to do what God wants me to do, and God has blessed me substantially. That's a sacrifice. I did that willingly, and I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, that was something, and I believe that's everybody's life. We have things that we want that we got to be willing to set aside. David in the Bible, with all his heart, wanted to build the house of God. But God said, you've got blood on your hands, David. You can't do it. But because your desire is so strong, Lord, I'll let your son do it. You know, there's things that we want in our life that God may not allow us. And we got to be willing to give that up. we got to be willing to make that sacrifice. That's what God's talking about here. If you bring an offering, it needs to be willing. We have financial sacrifices. You know, our tithes is a financial sacrifice at times. I've been in a place, thank God I'm not, but I've been in the place where it was to pay tithes or to put food on the table. I've been there once or twice. It's not easy. It's not easy. There's, there's, there's financial sacrifices. There's things that, that we have to give. And I'll, I'll get into more of that here in a minute. There's fasting. Fasting is a sacrifice. If we do it by forcing ourselves, are we really accomplishing anything? But when we fast willingly, saying, God, I realize that the carnality in me has to be killed. God, I realize that if I'm going to get anywhere in you, I've got to kill off this flesh. When we, when we willingly sacrifice, we'll get so much more out of it. When, you, when you're able to set aside and, and fast and do it, not because you're making yourself, I know I've got to three days a week, so I'm just going to do it, and I'm going to do it at 3 o'clock, like the pastor says we can do just so I can say I've done it. That's not really, you're not really accomplishing a whole lot. But when you say, God, I need you, and I'm going to set this aside because I realize, when we wake up and we realize what we're doing and do it out of a willing heart, we'll get so much more out of it. All right, I'll continue on. I'll get off sacrifices for a minute. Verse 11, you shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. Again, we're back on the Ten Commandments there. Those are Ten Commandments. 
Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie. Shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Those are pretty straightforward. I don't think I really need to go any deeper in that. It's pretty easy. But these are things that, that so many times, I mean, we hear about Ten Commandments. We hear about, you know, we don't need to lie. Well, what's a light, white lie? Well, that's still sin. But we, we hear these little things, but, but do we really ever take it and, and really chew on it and process it and really say, God, deal with me about this. If there's anything in my life, if there's any, even if it's a small thing, any, any, it might not even be a lie, but being deceitful, that falls into that. We ought not to have that in our life. Continue on, verse 12. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. Thou shalt not bear the Lord's name in vain. Another Ten Commandments. Again, that's pretty straightforward. We can't take God's name in vain. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Does that mean we ought to settle our debts? Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear thy God. I am the Lord. You know, that's pretty cruel if you think about it. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. They're helpless. But that is kind of in a literal sense. What about abstract? What if we take that and apply it in a different way? What if you know your brother is weak to a certain thing, and you put that before him? You're putting a stumbling block before him. I believe that's a sin to God. You know, Paul wrote in a place, if your brother don't eat meat, thou ought not to eat meat in front of him. You're putting a stumbling block in front of him. You know, there's things that we consecrate in our lives. There's things that we give up and let die to God. You know, we, there's things that may not be a sin to us, but we've said, God, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take part in that because I want to set something aside. I want my life to be consecrated. We set ourselves apart. And if, if I have set myself apart and say, I'm not going to take caffeine anymore. I'm not going to drink anything with caffeine in it. Those of you who know me, that's, that's a, that would be a big, big thing for me. That would be a big step. I love my coffee. But if I was to do that and you brought coffee in front of me, what would you be doing? You would be putting, you'd be tempting me. That's what this is talking about in today's sense. You know, if somebody's blind, you're not going to set something in front of them to make them fall. That's cruel. It's the same thing for your brother who, who has something in their life that they struggle with. Because uh, it may not be just a consecrated thing. It may be somebody in, in their past has, has struggled with, with fear, and you start talking about all this virus mess going on, and you instill fear back into them. How did that do them? You put a stumbling block in them, because fear's not of God. We've got to be careful. Continue on. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. We can't have respect to persons. God has no respect to persons, and we can't either. You know, God doesn't see color or race. God doesn't, God doesn't see anything like that. He sees souls, and he sees souls that he died for and cares about, and that's how we should look at it. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer tail among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Now, 
I know some of us love the latest news about everything going on. However, God's not always with all that. The Bible says here that thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer. Do you know what a synonym for a talebearer is? A gossiper. I know that ain't proper English, that's why it's a talebearer. But somebody who gossips is a talebearer. Somebody who goes around and and it don't even have to be strolling discord. It ain't even got to be talking bad about people. But when you go around and you're telling everybody about everything that's going on, that's what stirs up confusion. And God's not the author of confusion. And then it does get over into gossip. It does get into talking about other people's business. When we go from house to house, from friend to friend, from coworker to coworker, talking about everybody else, it causes issues. I'll tell y'all, when I first started talking this morning, I was talking about how I praise God for the peace at work. The reason I don't have peace at work all the time is because I've got one guy who's in leadership above me who is a tailbearer. If I make a mistake, everybody in the neighborhood, and I mean we have probably 20 subcontractor groups that have four or five people on their crew. We've probably got 100 people working where I work at one time. Every person out there is going to hear about my mistake. And the problem is, is I work for the general contractor, and when I go to a subcontractor, they're supposed to respect what I ask them to do. But then when they've thought about, when they've heard from my supervisor about how I messed up, they don't respect me. So I go say, hey, I need you to do this. And it's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You messed this up. And I have issues with that because I have to do my job still. But it's because of the tail bear. It's because somebody going around strolling discord at my job that I don't have peace at my work. Now, I know that's one aspect. But when we have that in the church, it's a big issue. It did go farther than this. It says, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. You know, we can't condemn our neighbor. We can't condemn the people around us. I believe that we should hold each other one, account, one another accountable in, in Scripture, but we can't be casting condemnation on one another. That ain't godly. It's God's place to judge. It's God's place to, to correct us and the preacher's place to correct us. It ain't one another's place. I don't go to my brother who's not here this morning and tell him, you're going to hell because you missed service this morning. I don't do that. I pray for him because he's not here and ask God to get a hold of him. You know, this, this situation here, I was actually looking it up because I'd never heard that phrase other than the Bible, stand against the blood of thy neighbor. And it's kind of like modern day, but it's a lot more primitive. In the, in the days in the Bible, when, when somebody was committed a, a crime, they didn't go to a court and go through a judge with an open jury. The, the community just kind of got together and, and heard everything's like, okay, we're stoning him. It was kind of like that. But there was a place and an opportunity for somebody to say, listen, I was there, I saw it happen, This didn't, he wasn't a part of it. There was a place for all that. And what this is saying is for thy neighbor, thou shouldn't stand against the blood. Thou shouldn't condemn him knowingly. Thou should try to pres preserve his life in every aspect. If we put that in a spiritual sense, in every opportunity, we should try and preserve somebody spiritually. We should try and uplift and encourage and bring them up to a better place. If we see somebody struggling, their blood will be on our hands if we cause them to fall. If we cause them to fall, their blood will be on our hands. We can't stand against the blood of a brother. If they're struggling, if they're going through something, if they're going through temptation, if they're down and out, we should lift them up not hurt them. Verse 17, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thy heart, thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor, nor suffer sin upon him. That kind of just goes against about what I was just saying. 
Verse 18, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. All right, this is verse 18. I'm skipping down to 32. Uh, I was going through the rest of that chapter there, and there was a lot that kind of just didn't quite fit this morning. So we're going we're to go down to verse 32. Thou, thou shalt rise up before the hoary head, and forgive me if I'm saying that wrong, and honor the face of the old man, and fear thy God, I am the Lord. You know, most of us here, especially in the South, was raised to respect our elders. It's something we're, we're seeing less and less of. We don't see yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, as much anymore. My mom would beat the fire out of me if I didn't. So <laughs> I get in trouble at work. I speak a little bit of Spanish. And in Spanish, when you're talking to a lady, there's senoritas and senoras. And you only use senor if they're married. And sometimes I don't know if they're married or not. And in my English mind, I use senor anyhow because that's like saying yes, ma'am. And then I have senoritas who correct me, no, I'm not a senor, I'm a senorita. And it's like, I, I'm sorry, but you got to realize, I was born in South in America, where we say yes, ma'am, whether you're married or not. you got to understand, i, I got an English mind here. So <laughs> anyhow, but the Bible says that thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of an old man. I was raised to respect my elders, most here probably the same. And the thing about it is, is, is there's people who, who God gives wisdom to that they're younger, but there is a wisdom. There is a knowledge and an understanding that only comes through experience and time. There's something to be said for somebody who's lived 50, 60, 70, and 80 years in this earth. There's, somebody, there's something to be said for that. It may not always be spiritual. There's, there's wisdom that's, that, of how to make it through this earth. There's wisdom on how to raise a family. There's wisdom on how to do finances that these people have through experience that me at 24 and 25 won't ever have. Even if, and I probably, I'll have to wait 50 years to receive that wisdom. But, but by respecting them, by honoring them and going to them, I can receive help and I can, I can have that. In the Bible, there's a situation where a, a person in leadership did not. If anybody knows the story of... Um, Rehoboam, Solomon's son. Rehoboam, when he was elected king after Solomon died, there was a situation that arose, and forgive me, I didn't re look it up and read the story last night. It's just come to my mind. But he had a situation, and, and he went to his friends, the young people, and asked their counsel and said, what do I need to do? And his young youth and carnal friends counseled him, you know, you should have an iron fist, and you should tell them this is what's going to happen and kill them all. And he went and talked to the counseling of Solomon. All the, the elders that, that was uh, advisors to Solomon. And they said, no, you should let this happen and you should, you should do this. And he took the advice of the young men and he caused a lot of issues. And I, I, again, I'm, I'm kind of just going off what I remember. But the moral of the story there is he didn't take the counsel of the elders. He didn't take the wisdom. He took the youthful burning ferocity that shouldn't have been taken. And he went after these people and killed them, and it caused more problems. There's something to be said for honoring an old man and an old lady. There's, there's respect that we ought to have. All right, I'll continue on 33. And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, ye shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. And thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. 
So I was thinking about this, and I seen something here that I want to talk about. I see it very often, especially in the Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Things are different under the law, so I want to talk about that for just a second. Under the law, not anybody could be saved. It was only the circumcised children of Israel who could be saved. A Gentile, which are what we are, I don't think anybody in here has Jewish lineage that I know about. None of us could have even been saved under the law because we're not Jews. So with that mindset, that, that mindset, that, that thought process, the Jewish people were kind of known to being snotty. They were kind of known to being look down their nose at you because you can't be saved, and they can because they're God's chosen people. But think about how you, as a stranger, coming into their land would have been treated. I'm sure there were good people and bad people, just like in Christianity. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure that was good. I'm not saying all the Jews were bad and like that. But I'm saying there were people that could not be saved. And, and there were some that would look down on others. Now, I looked up the definition of vex because it's used different ways sometimes. But to vex someone means to annoy, frustrate, or worry somebody. One thing that's very frustrating to me is when somebody looks down their nose at me. It's very frustrating. It's very annoying because, like I said, there's no respect of persons of God. I'm just as good as them in God's eyes. So that's something that's very, very annoying to me. And, and as I see this, I got to thinking about the, the apostolic church of Jesus Christ. So many times I have seen in the 10 years I've been living for God and even before then, and so many times I've had other people, other denominal people, Say, I won't have nothing to do with them because they think they're the only ones that's going to be saved. We get this attitude because we have the plan of salvation and we have the truth that we're the only ones to go to heaven and they're below us. And that's not the case. And I'm not saying anybody, I'm not pointing fingers, I'm just saying what I've seen through the years. And it's very easy to do. We cannot be that way. I have seen more souls lost. My wife worked on a couple. They're, um, he's a youth pastor out in uh, New Orleans now. But she was, when she first got in church, got the Holy Ghost, she worked on a couple for months and got them to come to a revival. And the evangelist stood up here and completely blasted the denominal church they go to. I'm not calling him out. I'm not saying he was wrong. But the things he said caused them to leave and never come back. We're still friends, but that, that's never an opportunity we're really going to have to witness and draw them in anymore. I had a friend that I had worked on for not months, but years come to this church during a revival, same scenario. Through lack of wisdom, the, the evangelists didn't know that they were from that type of church, blasted that church over the pulpit. I haven't hardly talked to him since. All the witnessing, the Bible studies on the oneness of God in the middle of class that I had had with him down the drain. I have not had the opportunity. And it's because of that mindset. I get it. I'm not saying that they're wrong and saying what they said because it's the truth. We've got the plan of salvation. I don't believe they're going to heaven if they haven't repented, been filled with the Holy Ghost, and baptized in Jesus' name. I'm sorry. I don't believe that. But I'm not going to stand up here knowing somebody is, is not from this church and blast them because they don't have the plan of salvation. That's not how we win souls. And that is vexing their soul is what that's doing. That's vexing them. They're a stranger in our church, and we vex them. The church of the living God cannot have an attitude if we want to, like that if we want to see souls saved. For, 
Pastor, if I'm wrong in that, correct me. I just, that's how I feel about it. And that's, as I was reading this, that's how God dealt with me. Continue on in verse 35. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meat yard, in weight, or in measure. Just balances, just weights, a just ephah, a just hen shall you have. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. I don't think we have an issue with this nowadays. But again, in everything we do, we ought to be honest. That's what this is talking about. You know, for the people who, back then, you would weigh out something and say, okay, it weighs this much, I'll give you the weight of this much in silver or whatever. That's how money worked back then. But you could, you could adjust the weights. You could adjust how things sit in a pot to measure a volume of it or whatever. And, and that was, you know, um, not honest. That's just as good as lying. So that was put in here because of that. But there's something to be said for honesty. Therefore shall you observe all my statutes and all my judgments and do them. I am the Lord. So in the end of this chapter, the Lord says, you shall, you shall observe all my statutes and do all my judgments and do them. I am the Lord. The reason that I went to this chapter and God gave this to me is these are commandments that was given. But these aren't just commandments. For clean, good person living, this is, should be natural for us. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, and their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. In other words, the Gentiles who were not able to be saved, who did not have the law, did not know sin and not sin, they did these things because by nature this is the right things. These is, this is just living. This is a sound doctrine, if you will. These, these, are, these are commandments, and I believe these things I've talked about today, if we don't do them, it is sin. I, I do believe that. And by doing these things, though, I believe it's more. It's not just a commandment. It's not just a sin. It's something that, like I was talking about with sacrifice, I should be willing and wanting to live this way because this is the right way. And I'm not saying that I know everything and all, but I'm up here because God's dealt with me about this. There's something to be said for somebody who, who I mean, we all have those people in our mind who's always been set apart who you see and you don't have nothing you can say against them. There's always somebody. Our pastor's one in my life. Brother Clyde's one in my life. I don't have nothing negative I can say about these men because through the years, they've been the same, they've lived the same, and, and they've got a life. They've not allowed things and sin to come in their life and, and ruin their life. And for any of us here sitting on my voice today who want to have that in years to come, we've got to do the same. We've got to show ourselves a good pattern of living. Scattered through this chapter as I read, you probably heard, I am the Lord a couple times. Every few commandments, God wanted to remind us as we read this, that this wasn't Moses' personal law. This wasn't Moses' thoughts. This wasn't something that Moses decided. Moses was simply the man, the mediator. He was the one between God and, and the people of Israel. He simply was taking notes as God spoke. Now, the Bible says that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. This isn't just inspiration. This is literally God speaking and Moses taking notes. Because chapter 1, I mean, verse 1 said, The Lord spake unto Moses. That means Moses was literally writing as God was speaking. 
So these commandments, these things, these aren't inspiration. This isn't Paul giving his opinion because he was raised a certain way. This isn't the Apostle Peter trying to remember 10 years after Jesus was crucified, what Jesus said while he was writing epistles. This was God speaking to the children of Israel and Moses writing it down. Now, I know this isn't red letter because it's in the Old Testament, but if we could have a red letter Old Testament, all this chapter would have been in red because this was God speaking. Verse 2 states that the children of Israel shall be holy. So I titled this this morning, Holiness in the Law, because this chapter was giving to make the children of Israel holy. Because when you say you shall be holy, it's just like when you say in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? That means you don't have it or you're not there yet. But if you do this, you will get there. If we want to be holy in our lives, there's something to be said for these scriptures. These commandments that was written out, those things that, that Moses communicated to the children of Israel from God. If we follow these things, we're following a pattern of holiness in our life. Let's talk about holiness some more. We're going to go to Leviticus chapter 20. It's one, one chapter over. If those following along want to just flip there, I'll read a couple verses. Starting in verse 22. Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and doeth. Repeating verse 37 from chapter 19. That the land whither I bring you to dwell therein, spew you not out. And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nation which I cast out before you. For they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. God hated those people because of their actions. Because their lack of holiness, God hated those people. But I have said unto you, ye shall inherit the, their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it. A land that floweth with milk, with milk and honey, brother Charlie. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Ye shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, between unclean fowls and clean. And ye shall not make yourselves abominable by beast, or by fowl, or any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. Ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. Holiness is still the same as it always has been. People's changed, times have changed, music's changed, culture has changed, but God has not changed as Brother Nick preached Wednesday night. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And holiness, being God-like, has not changed because God has not changed. If we, if we say God hasn't changed, that means his nature, his demeanor, the way he acts, the way he reacts has not changed because God doesn't change. And being holy is to be God-like. Being holy is also to, to be separated from other people. From the very beginning, God told them in, in the law, that he wanted them separated from the world. He wanted them separate from other people. In the New Testament, we still find the scripture, come out from among them, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. We gotta be separate. That passage in Leviticus I just read, he told them to put a difference between what was clean and unclean, from beast to everything. Put a difference. Now, I know things have changed in the law, and I, I'm not saying again, like I started off by talking about that we got to live by the law. I'm not saying that. 
But what God was wanting to do was put a difference between the world and his people. He was wanting to set them apart and separate them. So in our daily lives today, we still have to observe that. However it is that God deals with us to do that, we still have to say this is sin and this is not sin. And if I want to please God, I've got to go this way. And I've got to walk in this path because that's what's pleasing to God. God still wants his people to be set apart. Titus chapter 2. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of contrary part may be ashamed. Having no evil thing to say of you. I love the book of Titus. First time I ever taught in adult class, I've taught on the book of Titus. It's a small book, but there's so much good in it. I like what it said here. Showing myself a pattern of good works. You know what creates a light on a job site? No matter how often they come to you trying to get you to do something, you won't. You repeat a pattern. You, you do the same way. For my Sunday school class that's still in school, you know what sets you apart at school? Being the same, doing the right thing, no matter what they bring at you. It'll set you apart. It'll put you in a different category. And it goes on to say that they of the contrary part may be ashamed. What does that mean? That means the ones that's coming against you, the ones that's trying to tempt you and draw you away, the ones that's trying to pull you out of that will be ashamed of what they're doing to you. But it's by you having a pattern of good works. And if you do that, they will have no evil thing to say of you. That means they won't be able to say anything because they've tested you, they've tried you, they've pushed every button they can, and you've not flipped out on them, you've not cussed them, you've not given in to their temptation, you've not let up, you've just lived right no matter what. It's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But to me, that sounds like holiness. That sounds like being separated and, and, and setting yourself apart. It sounds like, you know, I'm going to have a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That's holiness. Peter, first, art, first Peter chapter 2, again, another very, very common scripture. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, forgive me, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but now are the, the, I believe that should be underlined if we could, the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, that ye may by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, he talks about how this, the, 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 the people of God are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. What is that? That is people who is set apart. That is people who, is, who has a division from the world. And there's a line there that they don't cross no matter what. That is a, a, a line of holiness and a standard that's set up that I will not go there. I will walk this way. And because of that, it says that, that, let me get down here to it. Whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. What's that saying? 
That's saying that even though they speak against you, even though they call you stupid, even though they say that we ain't got to do that anymore, even though they say that holiness is not what you say it is, it's just, you know, whatever, just accepting God as your personal savior or, or whatever they want to say a holiness is, that in the day of visitation, in the time that God opens their eyes, they'll be able to glorify God and say that was real. Those, those people, they're peculiar, they're crazy, they're weird. I don't agree with them, but it's real. They'll have that acknowledgement one day. Paul said it in Titus and in Peter, said it here in 1 Peter, that about people speaking against us. You know, this may have been a passage from the Levitical law that I was reading, but it's still sound doctrine today. It's still things that we can live today. It's not just that's the law and I don't want to live that because we're under grace, not under the law anymore. In God's eyes, there's still a thing of sin, and we still have to abstain from sin. We still have to be perfect as our Father in heaven. And the only way to do that is to know what sin is. That's the purpose of the law today, is to, to define sin, what is not good in God's eyes, and to abstain from those things. It's things that we can pattern ourselves after to be set apart. These are the things that separates the so-called church from the chosen and holy church. That's why when they get into a spot, when they have a need, that's why they call the church. That's why they call us. They may still go somewhere else, but when they have a need, they still call us. I'm not saying that I'm special or you're special. I'm saying that by what we do, by being pleasing to God, that's why we get blessing from God. That's why we can still touch God. God's still coming after a church without spot or blemish. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present himself, it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. You know, Jesus died so that his glorious church could be cleansed. To me, that means that there's sin at some point that has to be cleansed. And for that to be cleansed, we've got to know what those sins are. So we've got to look at what defined them. Half of what the whole book of Leviticus is about, if you take time to read through it, is about cleansing a person from sin. It's about if you trespass against thy brother, you should bring whatever it says in the law, and that you should apply the blood this way, and you should take the organs and burn them this way. And if you have... You know, a sin offering, you should do it this way, and then you should take this amount of time to cleanse a person. Or if a leper comes in, there's so much that the book of Leviticus defines as unclean and how to clean it. That was the job of the Leviticus and the, 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 the priest was to help people cleanse themselves from sin. But see, Jesus Christ, he died on a cross. He shed his blood that we can apply it to our lives and cleanse ourselves from that sin. But unlike the Levitical law, the law of grace allows us to separate ourselves from sin and apply that blood and not have to go back and reapply and reapply and reapply. Sin has not changed in God's eyes, but the way we are cleansed from it has. God hasn't changed, sin hasn't changed, and holiness is still the way to heaven. Hebrews 12 and 14, 
when we start talking about New Testament holiness, when we start preaching about holiness, again, this is one of those that's always there. Hebrews 12 and 14 says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. You know, one of these days we're all going to see him, but how we see him is what's going to be defined by what we live. We're all going to stand in judgment one day. But there's going to be those that, that say, well, God, we cast out devils in your name. God, we spoke in tongues. God, we did this. God, we did that. And he's still going to tell them to depart. What the difference is going to be is the holiness. The, the I, I lived a spotless, clean life for you, God. I set myself apart like you commanded us. I did all that you said do, and I did these things to save souls. You know, a lot of times the church gets so caught up in saving souls, they don't save their own soul. They don't actually apply it to themselves and say, God, I need to be saved. God, I need to be drawn out of the world. So many times we go out into the world and we rub up against the world and we come back with the world on us. But there comes a point when we've got to cleanse ourselves from sin. Because without it, without the cleansing, without staying clean, we're not going to see the Lord. We're going to see him one day and he's going to either cast judgment or he's going to say, well, good. Well done, my faithful servant. Enter in to thy reward. I want to hear him say, well done. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. That's all I had this morning. I believe we ought to, we ought to really think about holiness. We call ourselves apostolic Pentecostal, and somebody says, well, what does that mean? There's an old saying, and I don't remember, know where it come from, but we're apostolic by doctrine and Pentecostal by experience. And there was a tag under it about holiness. You know, used to, if you follow the history of the church, every church denomination had a level of holiness. Every church had a standard up until the mid-1900s when it all started splitting apart. You know, there was a standard of holiness for every church, no matter what the name on the sign was, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, there was a, there was a standard. In the early 1900s, a woman wasn't seen in pants. In the early 1900s, you know, women wasn't seen out in, in things that, that God wasn't pleased with. Men wasn't seen out in shorts and short sleeves in the early 1900s. That come later on. The early 1900s, it was a whole different place because everybody had a little bit more morals. That standard of holiness has just kind of withered away. But God hasn't changed. And I don't know why God gave me this this morning. I don't know for what reason. I believe if any church around here is still trying their best to live holy, it's our church. I don't know. You know, if, if there's something in your life that you feel like God's wanting to tighten up, I would say now would be a time to tighten it up. I know things in my life and my family that I want tightened up. And, and, and the reason is, is because I willingly, again, I, I want to please God. It's not because it's just sin. It's not just because it's, it's, you know, whatever. It's not because somebody got up here and preached it to me. It's because I wanted to. You know, I wear long sleeves every day. There's some out there, even in the Pentecostal and apostolic doctrine, that does not agree with wearing long sleeves. Because there's really not very much scripture that you can pull out of that on that. But that was the conviction God gave me. I remember I was standing somewhere, and I just felt naked. And the pastor tell you basically the same thing. You know, he was praying for somebody. And that's his story. I won't tell it. But, but the point is, is God dealt with me about that. 
There's things that we 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 got to let God deal with us about. There's things that we need to let God deal with us and draw us closer to Him, especially in a time like today. You know, I, I wonder through the years that in in the the Bible, I wonder the things that got lost. I wonder what isn't there. I believe everything we need is there, but I wonder what isn't there. I wonder how many epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote that have not been found and translated to English. I wonder about those who translated it, how well they translated it, because I speak Spanish, and I know going from one language to another, everything doesn't always get crossed over. I can try and say something and get laughed at, and my cleaning ladies at work correct me because some of them speak English, and they're like, you just said something completely off in left field. And I'm like, okay, I was trying to say this, and I'll tell them in English, and they're like, yeah, say it like this. Point being, what got lost in translation? I believe what we need is here. I believe the plan of salvation is here. But I wonder about that thing. I wonder about those things because I want in my heart to please God. And if we have that desire, if we have that, that want to please God, the things I've taught about this morning is things we ought to, to examine ourselves with. We ought to take it home and look at ourselves and say, am I doing this? Am I doing that? Am I not doing this? Am I not doing that? And we ought to really look at ourselves. But y'all pray for me and my family. I love y'all. Good, good. Good teaching, good teaching. Holiness of the law. Same holiness in the law that says that thou shalt not. It's in the New Testament said thou shalt not abstain. It's God's word, and we've got to do it. Got to do it. Good teaching. I enjoyed that this morning. Holiness of the law. All right. Don't forget now. I know you're not going to forget. Two o'clock, we're going to um, do this memorial service for... Uh, Brother Ronnie, and uh, but right now let's stand. Everybody need prayer. Head this way. Thank you, Jesus. Pray for me and pray for Brother Frank. Uh, yeah, Sister Butler, she's doing. What well, I know, she's doing good. She just can't get out of the house. They to the quarantine's over with. <laughs> All right, anything? Okay, let's pray. Let's pray and be dismissed. Precious God, Lord, just. Lord, praise you so much, dear God, for your blessings on us. And God, praise you this teaching this morning, Lord Jesus. Dear God, it's so true, Lord, and I thank you for it, Lord God. Lord, I ask you, dear God, to go with us. God, touch all that's sick in their body. Lord, sick in spirit, Lord Jesus. Dear God, go with us. Savior, watch over and protect us. And Father, give you the praise, dear God, and glory for it. In Jesus' precious name. All right. See you all in a little while.